You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. What up, everybody? Konnichiwa, bitches. Welcome, one and all, to Abacabo Cafe. This is the internet's own English language, Kimagure Orange Road podcast. I am the host of this bitch. Jason Almy is my name. I want to welcome you all to this episode and thank you very much for listening. Today, we're talking about television episode number 34, entitled Roots Panic, Madoka in the Mysterious Homeland. Originally, this episode aired on November the 23rd of 1987. It was directed by Anno Takashi. Anno has only directed one episode previously, and that is episode 19. That's the Island of Forbidden Ripping Off 80s Teenage Movies episode. This episode was written by Terada Kenji, returning from a long stint in prison, or a couple of weeks of a bender. I don't know. It's been a minute since he's written an episode, but he's still the top dog of the writing team here for Orange Road. He's written 15 episodes, including this one. Right off the bat, I got to tell you, I have often wondered, what the f*** does Roots Panic mean? In fact, what does the whole title of this episode mean? I guess Roots refers to the roots of the Kasuga family. They're going back to the ancestral home of the Kasuga family, which is not entirely made clear in this television episode, nor in any other episode of the anime. The manga is a little bit more descriptive of the visit to the uh, grandparents, the Kasuga grandparents, and you learn a little bit more about the homeland and and the mystery surrounding it here. Mysterious homeland. The homeland doesn't really seem very mysterious at all, honestly, compared to the manga where you get this better world building of of their ancestral home. Here, really, it's just Kasuga slapping his hand over Ojisan's mouth every time he, he almost spills the beans about the power. So, you know, the manga does offer more, and we down the line, we will talk about the manga. So we'll talk about this chapter, and, and it'll be many, many months probably before we talk about the manga. 
So maybe even a couple of years before we talk about this chapter, but there is a little bit more explanation of what makes this homeland so mysterious and how it explains the roots of the the Koska family powers. But this episode is significant in giving us the first appearance of Koska's grandparents, Oji-san and Obasan. We did see Oji-san in an earlier episode where I talked about OVA number three, I was a cat, I was a fish. Oji-san does play an important role in that episode, both expository, providing them the magic rope that causes so much trouble in that in that OVA episode, but also helping to return Kasuga's spirit to its rightful vessel. But here is their true introduction. Here is where all of the original viewers of Orange Road would have first seen Kasuga's grandparents because they didn't see that OVA until a few years later. In the opening scene, we see a giant log floating by some 20 feet, 30 feet overhead, even over the treetops, so it's floating pretty high in the sky. We see it floating by, presumably one of the grandparents is levitating this log overhead, and that tells us that Kasuga is likely going to be spending a lot of his efforts during this episode struggling to conceal the secret of the power in this episode. And his grandparents are very open about it. They're maybe more of that Kurumi school of who gives a shit if anybody knows we got ESP. They don't seem to care. They're very nonchalant about their ESP use. And the grandparents don't seem to understand why the, the young people, Kasuga especially, would want to conceal it. So, of course, Kasuga has to use the power to go ahead of all his peers and tell his grandparents not to use the power. So he's got to use the power to tell them not to use the power. It all makes sense on paper, I'm sure. Oji-san, in the very opening minutes of the episode, is already using the power in full view in front of everybody. Shikaru, importantly, Ayukawa, more importantly, in front of Yusaku, and somehow they're none the wiser. He's levitating Jingoro to the cheers of the gang. I mean, Shikaru is losing her mind that Oji-san is able to do this kind of magic. And she thinks it's magic. Conveniently, they all just assume that he knows magic tricks. And, and it's not a trick. I mean, he's using ESP, but they just assume that it's whatever. It, this kind of falls in line with Episode 25, where Kasuga hypnotized himself into being more uh, forward and more decisive, and he wound up using the power many times over the course of that day in full view of his classmates, and no one assumed he was an esper or possessed any type of telekinetic abilities. Despite falling off the third floor of the school and then using his power to uh, slow down his descent, and even do a little bit of a somersault in midair before landing gently on his feet. The idea here is that Kasuga spends a lot of his time, he he devotes a lot of effort to maintaining the secret of his ESP, his family's ESP. And yet, when people see open evidence that there's something up with his family, that they might have some kind of power, they write it off as something else. They don't question him. They don't assume he's got powers. I mean, not until a later episode. Komatsu will make that deduction in a future episode. But by and large, every witness of the power has just assumed that it's some kind of trick or Kasuga has these 
ninja powers. I think he said in Hawaiian suspense that he, uh, the Casca's descended from a long line of ninjas. And that's how he was able to do some cool stuff. When Ayukawa comments that he's able to do uh, some really impressive things sometimes. Now, Oji-san levitating Jinguro is important for one other reason. The animators, for real, took the time to draw that cat's butthole in there. It's a fucking cartoon where they make big faces and shit. Their eyes bug out, their jaws drop open. There are Looney Tunes moments to this show. It's not a show that values photorealism in its animation. This is a show that often exaggerates facial features for the effect to show emotion. They use four lines to draw Jingoro, and two of them were used to draw his anus. There are almost no details to Jingoro whatsoever. He's an outline and a few colors, and that's it. But they took the time to draw his butthole in here as he was spinning end over end as as Oji-san was levitating him. They drew his butthole. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I'll post a picture to to my website and I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can see they drew Jingoro's butthole. Seems like a very unnecessary detail and the cat's not even that detailed. It's not like they drew fur on him or something like that. He's got like two whiskers and a butthole. Somebody got paid that day. Somebody got paid a day's wage. A human being got paid a day's wage to draw cat butthole. And I'm here for it. Speaking of episode artwork, this episode also features a little bit of inconsistency with the art. Kasuga's hair is depicted as brown in the scene that he's dressing down his grandparents. He's telling them that they have to keep the power a secret and that he doesn't want his friends to know about it. And his hair is brown here, but in the opening scenes, as well as pretty much every other episode, it's a very dark kind of charcoal, maybe not quite black, but pretty close, which is what you would expect from somebody who is Japanese. You would expect a very dark black or near black kind of dark charcoal hair color. But here his hair is brown and it's really just this one scene. And then it goes back to being this dark gray or charcoal. I don't know if it's the lighting indoors during this scene or what, but it it kind of comes off as inconsistent. I found the backgrounds in this episode to be very nice. There are a few shots, usually establishing shots to show us that these characters are out in the wilderness. They're away from their normal backdrop of this uh, urban environment, which is appropriate for a series like this that focuses on youth culture so much, this urban, sophisticated environment, we see a lot of, of establishing shots in this episode that, that tell us that they're out in the woods, they're, they're at the mountains, they're away from the city. And uh, the artwork for the backgrounds and establishing shots is actually very, very nice. But I found the character art to be a little bit lackluster. There are some scenes between uh, Oji-san and Kasuga where neither one is animated really very well. And it's a little inconsistent from previous episodes. Now, speaking of Kasuga lecturing his grandparents on not using the power, this brings up a common theme throughout Orange Road, and that is the idea of intergenerational conflicts, the new butting up against the old, the young people, these young characters like Kasuga and his 
his twin sisters who are beginning to become adults. They're coming into their own as as teens, as burgeoning adults. They have opinions and beliefs about the way things should be, and so do the previous generations. And usually that's represented by Kasuga Takashi, but here we see Kasuga going up against an even older generation. That's his grandparents. Oji-san and Oba-san's reaction to Kasuga is, is briefly seen. Kasuga leaves the room and, and the camera lingers with the grandparents for a moment. They regard him as being kind of a pain in the ass. They want to adhere to their own ways, the old ways. Kasuga sees them as old ways, but from the perspective of the grandparents, this is just the way they've always done things. Maybe they're stuck in their ways. I mean, Costco might see them as stuck in their ways, but they don't see what the fuss is. Like, who cares if we use the power? So what if we're levitating some things? It's convenient. It's cool, right? We even see some of this old versus new in their relative costuming. Kasuga is dressed as one would expect a 16-year-old to dress. His attire in this episode really wouldn't even look out of place today. It's like hoodie and jeans type of stuff. It's the type of thing you see people wearing all the time, even now, some 40 years later almost. While his grandparents, on the other hand, they wear a far more traditional Japanese attire. They usually do. They're almost always costumed in a traditional Japanese attire. Part of the costuming, I think, of of the grandparents is about reinforcing their a pastoral lifestyle. They're these rural inhabitants of these mountain woods. Maybe it's even meant to make them seem a bit like hicks compared to the more urbane uh, city-living Kasugas. But for sure, it's meant to provide this visual juxtaposition between young and old. And so it reinforces that even through uh, the mise-en-scene, the costuming here. It's a bit of a role reversal Two, with the grandparents being scolded by their grandson. Here's this 16-year-old whippersnapper scolding his grandparents. One would think that perhaps they changed his diaper once upon a time. It is a little bit weird to get scolded by a person whose bum you used to wipe. So it's meant to be a little comedic here, too, that the young person is dressing down the old people and the, the people who are meant to be these revered family members, the grandparents were supposed to honor our elders, we're supposed to respect our elders. I do think Kasuga respects them. I think Kasuga loves his grandparents, but even still, he's kind of bossing them around. He's he showed up at their house and he's the grandkid and he's still kind of telling them what's up and how to live. And so it's part of that theme that I think Orange Road consistently expounds on and you get the idea that culture is moving in a certain way and that Kasuga and his sisters and Shikaru and Ayukua they're going to be the ones taking over in the very near future and and the old people are going to be taking a back seat and there's also a nice moment here it's really rather brief but it's it's still very nice Kasuga from afar he witnesses Ayukua and Shikaru interacting happily they're both smiling at each other they're talking about something but he's too too far from them to hear what they're saying but 
they're smiling at each other and and it cuts back to Koss again and he kind of smiles at both of them as if he's glad that they're both happy maybe he's happy that they're enjoying themselves at his grandparents so far but he really seems to take a little bit of delight in their relationship with each other and it really was kind of a nice moment because it feels like he's not smiling because he's going to get something from one of the girls or he thinks that he might be able to get some time alone with Ayukua. It's not a self-serving kind of smile. This seemed like a more kind of pure appreciation of their friendship, which I thought was really very sweet on Kasuga's part and kind of mature of him too, that he's able to appreciate and, and evidence of his empathetic nature. But what I really want to know is how in the fuck does Yusaku keep getting invited to this shit? You want to know how many times I've invited grumpy, churlish, constipated karate trolls who assault me to come with me to visit my grandparents? It's zero. But I guess he's good for chopping wood. Here he even gets a little praise from Shikaru when he starts chopping the wood. She's very impressed with his physical prowess. It might be one of the first times that she pays him a genuine compliment. Hopefully it didn't go too much to his head. But I think the main event of this episode is the flashback of Kasuga Takashi meeting Kasuga's mom. In this episode, we don't learn what his mom's name is, but if you've read the manga, then you know that her name was Kasuga Akemi. Of course, we don't ever learn her maiden name, the last names of Oji-san and Obasan. But our flashback opens with the repetition of an earlier pan across the mountains ending with a tree coming into the foreground from the right of the screen. We saw that pan earlier when Kosuga and the gang had first arrived there, but we see that repetition here of that, of that earlier pan. Really pretty nice artwork, so I don't blame them for reusing it. Likely this was an innocuous reuse of art assets for an establishing shot. It makes sense, but nonetheless, it, it, reinforces the cyclical nature of time. The more things change, the more they stay the same. This vista, the view of the mountain and the trees and the forest, unchanged for decades at least. When Kasuga Takashi came through, it was likely the 1960s here, 20 years later, maybe a little bit more than 20 years later. We get the exact same view. A big recurring theme in Orange Road is youth culture, as I've mentioned. It's often expressed as the older characters being made the butt of a joke, like Kurumi or or sometimes even Kasuga Kyosuke using the power against their father, Takashi, or Takashi being manhandled by the female wrestler. There's another good example. This older generation is made to seem kind of silly or foolish, but The lesson of this flashback is that there are some universal elements to life, like young people falling in love. They repeat with each generation. Was Takashi's youth that much different than Kasuga's? Were the 60s that much different than the 80s? Give it another generation, and the answer is no, in my opinion. In another generation, the 60s and the 80s will both be just ancient history. I got to say, young Takashi looking like a total dweeb, but I guess that worked for Kasuga's mom. Dude ties a shoelace around the hawk's leg, and the hawk is just good. 
That's how this works, right? I guess before he was a photographer, he moonlighted as a veterinarian from the big city. I don't know. Hurt bird, tie a shoelace around its leg. It's good to go. The idea that it couldn't fly without a shoelace tied around its leg doesn't make a lot of sense to me because even if the leg was injured, even if the shoelace did something, didn't do shit for the wings, that bird could have flown. If it could fly after the shoelace was tied to its leg, it could have flown before the shoelace was tied to its leg. I don't understand, but you're not supposed to ask this question, so I'm going to stop now. Just like Ayukawa, Kasuga's mom seems to very much appreciate Takashi's gesture in, in helping out with her hawk, even if it wasn't super efficacious. He did help out with her pet hawk, her beloved pet hawk, and she responds very well to his kind nature and easygoing attitude. We see in the flashbacks that Kasuga Takashi is quite a bit like his son, maybe not the most physically gifted specimen, maybe a little goofy, but still quick with a joke, smile, charming, very empathetic. And it works for Kasuga's mom, as evidenced by the presence of Kasuga, Kyosuke, and his two sisters. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. Also, interestingly, it seems like Oji-sang did not like the idea of his daughter marrying a non-esper. If we take his story as 100% truthful, of course, there is the idea that perhaps Oji-sang is not the most reliable narrator, and some of the story may not be 100% factual. It might be embellished in certain ways, but if we do take it as being truthful, then you see that he initially resists Kasuga's mom marrying Kasuga's dad because Kasuga's dad is an outsider. But at the same time, we never see any espers that aren't blood relatives of the Kasuga's by Kasuga's mom, of course. So it's really hard to say that Kasuga's mom had any real option of marrying another Esper. Or she had to marry a normie if she was going to marry at all, right? I think it's a wise choice on the part of Matsumoto for the manga, as well as the filmmakers here, to not include any other Esper families. Don't bog this thing down with 10 other Esper characters. We've got enough Esper characters already with Kyosuke and his sisters. We've got Kazuya. We even get Akane in the OVA. So we have plenty of these Kasuga family Espers that get introduced at various times. We, we don't need a wider Esper community. And so I think it's wise of them to, to leave it just at the Kasuga family, but Implicitly, that means that Kasuga's mom had to marry a non-esper, and so why not Kasuga Takashi? We don't see that Oji-san has any other prejudice against Kasuga Takashi, other than the fact that he's not one of them. He's not an esper. He's a normal person. And, and so that seems to be a particular prejudice that Oji-san did not remain committed to. It seems to be a prejudice that he has gotten over in the intervening years because he's really he doesn't show that prejudice at all in the in any of his appearances in the in the present day and without much in the way of a transition 
we go from the end of Oji-san's story to an expert depiction of why you don't take house cats camping. The raging river becomes a threat to Jingoro and then to Ayukawa when she slips in. The mountain was a threat to Takashi some decades earlier. And so there's a theme of this non-esper outsider from the big city that's also a love interest being saved by one of the espers who is at the very least familiar with the terrain. Somebody who belongs there, somebody who their homeland is there. So again, we get this theme of history repeating itself. It's reinforced here. Kasuga saving Ayukawa in the way that Kasuga's mom likely saved Takashi when he was on the mountain trying to get the snow. And after Kasuga's daring rescue, Ayukawa is out cold. She's unconscious. Lord knows where the fuck Jingaro is. And the background music gets all romantic because he's he's looking at how wet she is. Kasuga, that's not how it's done. A cut back to a tight shot of Ayukawa's face depicts water running down her cheek. That tells us that she's still quite wet from her bath in the river. And it's late November, so it's fairly cold. Of course, Kasuga can't bring himself to undress Ayukawa. He labors over the decision for a little while. Should he undress her? He knows that he needs to help her dry off. He doesn't want her to get sick, but at the same time, he doesn't want to be a creeper, and he feels uncomfortable undressing this person. I don't blame him. She ends up waking up. She ends up side-eyeing him like he's Bill Cosby. Ultimately, she's fine, and she didn't need Casca changing her wet clothes for her anyway. So I guess he made the right decision of not getting her nude because there are really no consequences from her quick dunk in the river. And you know what I like to do after almost drowning? You guessed it. Go to a festival. Oji-san and Oba-san's proximity to this festival means that they must live near a small town or village that's otherwise populated because we see a whole bunch of people at this festival. Ayukawa correctly intuits that Oji-san's earlier story was about Kasuga's mom and dad, and she says she thinks that Kasuga's dad really meant it when he said that he was saved by Kasuga's mom. She believes that part of the story. She takes it literally. Now, she shouldn't know at this point that Kasuga's mom likely used ESP to help out his dad, but she ends by saying that women want the men they love to be successful, which is phrased that way because it's meant to be her own veiled commentary on her hopes for Kasuga. And Kasuga does win her that weird-ass Kappa doll that's not even remotely cute. I don't give a fuck what Ayukawa thinks. That thing is ugly. Now, it's likely a reference to the Kappa Cat avatar of Orange Road creator Matsumoto Izumi, which he would sometimes use as his own vehicle to appear in the Orange Road manga itself. It's kind of a meta reference to, to his own personality, but probably a nod to Orange Road's creator here. And so I think a lot of this episode is meant to make Casca seem kind of silly or maybe weird for constantly stifling his grandparents to prevent them from spilling the beans on the secret power. Uh, that's sort of the stuff that wears a little thin for me. I never found that type of thing super compelling. But what I do like is that this episode is also about family history 
and the gang, especially Ayukawa, getting to know Kasuga a little bit better via his family. And as much as we tend to focus on Ayukawa being standoffish or holding people at a distance, not letting people get close to her, Kasuga does the same thing. He pretends that he doesn't, so a lot of times we don't notice, but Kasuga has a secret to keep. And so no one outside of his family has his full and complete confidence. He seeks to keep his social circle in the dark about his ESP, even as he brings them all on a visit to his grandparents' home. As we learn in the manga, this is the birthplace of the Esper line. I also like it because it's an episode in which Ayukawa's sense of closeness to Kasuga is enhanced, both through him saving her life as well as her getting a look into his past. She gets to know him a little bit better because she gets to see where he came from and meet his grandparents and hear the story about how his parents fell in love and got together. Let's also thank Allah Krishna, the sweet baby Jesus, and Martin Luther King Jr. for a respite from Komatsu and Hata in this episode. And I would like to thank you, not so much Allah Krishna, the sweet baby Jesus, or Martin Luther King Jr., but, but you for listening to this episode. I would also thank you if you went over to patreon.com slash teamalmy and became a patron of Team Almy Studios. Of course, you'll receive bonus content that nobody else gets. You will also get something in the mail from me, regardless of what tier you sign up for. I'm sending you something in the mail 100%. Also, you'll get access to Shit Happens When You Party Naked. That's my other podcast. That's a Patreon exclusive because I offended too many people with that podcast. So it is what it is. I really appreciate those of you who are patrons. Thank you very much. Uh, Your Christmas card is coming very, very soon. I also want to encourage everybody else to go listen to Creatures of the Night. That's my other podcast, my third podcast, my fourth podcast. I don't know. Creatures of the Night. It's fun. It's wacky. It's wild. We talk about paranormal stuff, a little bit of conspiracies, like did the CIA kill JFK? We might be talking about that next. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Creatures of the Night for you. So please check that out. I appreciate you very much. I also want to say thank you very much for listening to this episode. Everybody that clicked play, I appreciate you. If you haven't yet, leave me a review. If you're listening on Apple, iTunes, any uh, podcast player that will let you leave a review, please do so. I appreciate it very, very much. And to show my appreciation, I have a cover of Orange Mystery. My brother Cody Myers, who hosts a French-language Orange Road podcast, which I'll also include a link of. Turn me on to this song. It is a cover of Orange Mystery by a guy named Mike Anime Rock. I'll include his YouTube link in the show notes as well. It's just going to be a wealth of of links in the show notes this week. But I want to play for you guys this cover of Orange Mystery. It's as if Orange Mystery was transposed from a high 80s bop to a early 90s grunge track. So check this out, and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you very much for listening.